It's a joke. Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Stories, interviews, and profiles of courage, triumph, and perseverance. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me, as always, my hostess with the mostest, my beautiful wife, my partner in crime. Her name is... Just Jen. Just Jen. And you're along with us as um, we do stories. We do interviews. We do... Fun stuff, hope-filled stuff. Hope-filled. Encouraging, positive. Make your heart happy. Stuff in the midst of all of this crazy pandemic. Pandemic. Don't say it like that. (laughs) Makes it scarier. It is scary. Um, It is scary, but you know, we're getting closer. It's officially, as we record this, Thursday the 23rd of April, and I feel like some states are starting to flirt with the idea of opening up some are imminently opening up and uh we'll see i don't i don't know i worry it's a little premature yeah remember when they do open it up stay indoors for a couple more weeks (laughs) if they open it up may 1st you'll see the davis family june 1st to see how (laughs) y'all did yeah check in with us yeah exactly but uh on a positive note i do feel like there's a a shift in kind of people's overall well-being I feel, I feel like right. something's occurring it's like the global positive energy shift I'm True. hoping well I just feel like people are over it because I am seeing more people out more people out and about doing their things defying so, the rules yeah I are, just, we, are we talking about rule breakers I think that people are just putting their foot down and saying no more of this well I can understand that of I course. just I just hope we're not it's not fun I know. Is, is anyone having fun? We are. <laughs> we always have fun. I mean, I am Mrs. Fun here. You are the fun orchestrator of our house. I am the discipline maker what's of my, our house. What's my mantra? Your mantra? Yeah. Fun all the time? <laughs> if it's not fun. You won't do it. That's exactly right. So uh, apparently you have fun doing this podcast because you're on it. I have fun while I'm doing it. <laughs> That was a measured response. <laughs> that was very subtle. Did you catch that, y'all? What does that mean? You don't you don't y'all. like preparing for it? Did you go country on me? Maybe y'all. Y'all. I like I like saying y'all. Are you gonna wear like cowboy more, boots? Yeah, it's like a more efficient version of hey, you all people. Y'all. Yeah. Y'all. So anyway, you you like doing the podcast when we're doing it, but you just don't I like. I love doing it when we're doing it because I love hearing people's stories and they honestly uplift and inspire me as well. So I love that part. I don't like thinking about it. And it stresses me out. This is not my wheelhouse. I'm not a want to do a podcast kind of girl. I'm more reserved and quiet and well, I'm not really quiet. <laughs> I lied. <laughs> Says the woman that is always See, I cannot talking. lie. I will tell you when I lie. 
I just told you. I this lied. is true. And, and well, in addition, you you put all these conditions. Like mm-hmm. I got in trouble yesterday <laughs> because we had more than one interview. And yeah. this is now like Jennifer, she, you know, I'll talk about Jennifer, not Jen. Like she's fun <laughs> when she's Jen, but every once in a while she gets into the Jennifer zone. And when she's in the Jennifer zone, she lays down the law. I yeah. don't want to have more than one interview a day. Well, it's because my attention span isn't that big. And so like just focusing on, on one person, like I can put all my energy and effort into that. But if we go on to the second and third in the same, like sit down time, then I'm like, I'm losing it. I'm like worried about my snack time. I'm worried about like, I need a rest. It's always worried about food. Yes, it is. You're always worried about when your next meal is going to come. It's feeding time. That's her favorite <laughs> phrase. It's almost my feeding time. And I'm pretty accurate. Like if it's 12 o'clock, like feeding time is at 12 o'clock, not 12.01. Like I will stop everything in my tracks and. You better not get in her way. Yeah, I'll tell you that much time. right now. It's feeding time. Like yeah. You just don't want to get in the way of no. mama bear when it's feeding time. Right. It's, it's 10 noon, <laughs> three and five. Those are my feeding hours. Yes. Yes. And well, and I, I have I'm, snacks in between, but, but see, here's the challenge. This is also the woman that says, when do we get to do nothing? I want to have a day of doing <laughs> nothing. <laughs> and so I got to do multiple interviews in a day to get a day that we do nothing. Yeah. Right. I do like doing nothing. And it's not that I'm not, it's not that I'm doing nothing. It's just, that I don't like having to do something. I don't like a calendar of to do's. You know what I mean? Like, I, oh, just, I, just, I know what you mean. Cause I, I live with be, you. I just want to be. And if I feel like going out on that trail, I'm going to go on the trail. If I feel like I'm going to sit down, I'm going to sit down. I don't like time frames like okay two o'clock you have an appointment like those freak me out appointments freak me out i understand i i know you well i live with you well i try to structure my <laughs> life around your rules i'm glad you live with me well well <laughs> <laughs> y'all y'all uh all right so let's if you enjoy the podcast a couple different things you can follow us and connect with us on our socials so where do they find us, Jennifer? Hope Radio Podcast on Instagram and Hope Radio Podcast on Facebook. Yes. And then for your digital consumption, mm-hmm. we're on all of the platforms. We're on iHeart, you know, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Spotify. Why do you say it like it's the pandemic? Spotify. Anyway, Spotify too. So uh, you can catch us there. Hope Radio Podcast. Leave us a comment. Give us a follow. Subscribe. Like. Five stars, please. Yes. Uh, helps us move up in the rankings. Currently, we're only accepting five-star ratings. So Currently, our ranking is um, <laughs> number 1,337 out of 1,339, yeah. I think. Something we're just like trying that. to climb the ladder. And- yeah. I mean, for a new podcast, we're doing a show every day. Like, yeah. we're getting some traction. We're getting some we feels, and yes. I'm okay with that. I'm good. All right, you ready? Joke yes. time. Let's do it. It's our favorite part of the show. <laughs> Sean might- and Jen tell jokes, and uh, <laughs> we see whose joke is funnier. So it's a competition. Somehow I always lose, and somehow <laughs> she always wins. So I'm not quite sure about the... Uh, about the rules of this game, but uh, I will continue to try to play them. All right, you got your joke? Yeah, I got my joke. All right, I want to hear it. Are you ready? Yeah. Why do hamburgers go to the gym? I don't know why. To get better buns. (laughs) 
<laughs> so funny, right? Good I job. I love hamburgers. You do? Yeah. You love all food. I love in and out hamburgers the best. Stop. I know. And their fries are really good if you get them like extra crispy. Yes. Extra crispy fries. How do you say you Well done? Well done fries. Cheat day on Saturday. That sounds good. <laughs> you're teasing now. You are so teasing. Sean, all right, here's my joke. You're more of a Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I am. I am more I of a I don't Chick-fil-A. judge food. I'll eat that too. Okay, here. You ready for my joke? Yep. All right, you ready for it? I'm ready. Why do fish live in salt water? Oh, because they're salty? No, because pepper makes them sneeze. <laughs> That was a cute joke. See, I did good. Yeah. I didn't did, say funny. I said cute. <laughs> did I win? You you didn't. No. You never win. It's always me. I'm that the, is horrible. I'm, I'm the winner. You can't say that to me. <laughs> see see what I got to deal with, y'all? y'all? See this feisty spice woman I got? Jo- All right. It's just jokes with Jen. It is. It should be just jokes with Jen. So you ready? I, I've got an awesome guest coming online. Yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, her handle on Instagram is Brandy the Brave, yes. and I'm super excited to hear her story. I know a few bits and pieces. I'm going to surprise you. Okay. I'm not going to divulge any of that right now. Okay. I just want to get her on the line, mm-hmm. bring her on the show, and let her speak her truth, yeah. tell her story. I'm excited. She sounds very brave. I know, right? Mm-hmm. You ready? Should yeah, we get her I'm online? so ready. All right, let's do it. All right, Jen, we're online with Brandy Brunson, otherwise known as Brandy the Brave. Welcome to our show, Brandy. How are you today? I'm okay. How are you? We are doing awesome. We're doing awesome in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. We are living our truth, and we are talking to awesome people like you. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, we're keeping it together. Um, just kind of taking it as it comes. So. Yeah. yeah. What, what area of the country are you in? We're in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia to be exact. Oh, great city, beautiful country out there. And I've been out there a couple times, mm-hmm. you know, went to the Rocky statue and yeah. had to run up the stairs and, you know, do the <laughs> do the touristy thing. Yeah, it's just a beautiful city. It really is. Um, we don't take advantage of it enough, yeah. unfortunately. I think that's typical of anywhere that you live. Like, yeah. you know, if you're not, you, you, it's hard to become your own tourist in your own city, you know, especially if you live there. So mm-hmm. I think you take things for granted. We live at the base of the foothills in Northern California. So gold country and stuff. So people come from all around to go to Tahoe and ski mm-hmm. and, you know, all those areas. And we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, every winter goes by and we go, we should have went skiing and we just didn't <laughs> go ski. <laughs> it's because everybody else is out there skiing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. We'll see how all that yes. stuff changes. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, why don't you, uh, for our listeners benefit, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you're a realtor. Uh, I don't know a lot about your story, but maybe you could just give us an overview of who you are, uh, what you do, and then we'll dive into some other stuff. So my name is Brandy Brunson. Um, I am a realtor. I actually own a business consulting firm along with the real estate uh, portion of the business. And I come from a really dysfunctional upbringing, again, from North Philadelphia, kind of born and raised. And I was raised with my mother who had kind of fell into drug addiction at a very young age and was trying to do the best she could with what she had. And then my father, who was kind of, a you know, in and out of jail, and we had to deal with a lot of the things that came along with that poverty, moving from house to house, very 
unstable conditions for me and my siblings. So we weren't going to school. We weren't having the necessities. We weren't doing the very basics to be able to be brought up in a conducive environment for children. So, of course, missing school and not having the foundation that I needed financially when I kind of turned 18, I didn't have any of those principles that were required to jump into the workforce and to be able to purchase my own home. And then I had children and I had to learn these things from the ground up. So that's where my passion came from for getting into the real estate industry and trying to teach people financial literacy um, and just bring back all the education. Wow. So you are a really self-raised. Right self-educated up from the ground level. I mean, to not be going to school, to not to to live in poverty, to not have a good role model as parents, to then be where you are now, to be out there in the in the uh, everyday world and just crushing it. I I think so. I guess my question would be, Walk us through those those formative years as to how you kind of overcame the disadvantage that you were born into. Sure. So, I mean, for quite some time, I didn't necessarily realize that (laughs) that wasn't the way that everybody lived. Mm -hmm. I guess when you're kind of coming up in the middle of it, it just seems like the norm. It seems like everything is okay. But it started to get kind of iffy when I was going to school and I would see that my clothes weren't the same as other children or I just didn't have the same standards in terms of lunches and those kind of things. And then teachers started to kind of take notice of some of these things. And I would come home and tell the stories to my mother. And then she would kind of shush me and say, hey, you know, the family business stays in the family, stays in the house. And at that point, I kind of knew, okay, people don't need to know what's happening in the home. So we had that fear of being taken away and child protective services coming in. And then I always heard these stories of situations getting worse before they get better, possibly in those instances. So we hid a lot of the things that was going on. We weren't able to ask for the help that we needed, even though it was much needed. So it was, it was interesting. Now, how did you hear about, you know, social services and that kind of stuff potentially coming for you? Is that something that your mom told you, hey, don't say anything because next thing you know, you're going to be living with somebody else and you're not going to see mm-hmm. any of us. I mean, was it was it like a fear mm-hmm. thing that she instilled in you or did you actually have friends that that happened to in, from school? It was a little bit of both. So if I did find somebody in school, you know, in terms of a counselor that I was able to confide in, he would make me aware that, you know, it was okay to um, tell her the truth and to be upfront about what was going on at home. And there were numbers and services and that people could come out to the house and check things out and help me. And I was aware that, you know, that didn't, it sounded good, but I knew that that may be something that wasn't so good. And of course, when I would go home and tell my mom some of those things, she would kind of instill the fear at that point and say, hey, you know, you think you're living bad now, just wait until they come or just wait until you see how you may be living when you're not here. So, yeah. And how, how many siblings did you have? How many were, were in the family at that time? At that time, it was only one. And throughout the years, it, it grew to six. So. Oh. She was um, actively having children. And of course, the more children, the more financial issues. And it was it was just it was all bad. Yeah, I can imagine that that's got to be a very difficult situation to uh, be raised in to Mm -hmm. number one, feel like you're in a situation where you already have some disadvantages where you come to know that maybe, you know, because of the clothes you wear or because of how you look or where you live or Mm -hmm. whatever, people start to judge you. And then to have that compounded with all of a sudden you've got, you know, younger brothers and sisters coming in and one after the other, et cetera, in that same situation. So how did, how did you deal with that at the time? Like, where did you find the strength to just kind of continue to move on and forward Mm -hmm. with your life? 
that's a great question because I can remember for whatever reason, although there weren't a bunch of people to look up to and I didn't necessarily know how to live the correct way would kind of make its way into my life. But I definitely always had hope that it would. So I would find, you know, a little space in the house. Actually, it was the bathroom for me because it was the only private space that we had. We were in a one bedroom apartment at the time with myself, my siblings, my mother and her boyfriend. And um, I would just close myself into the bathroom and sit down on the bathroom floor and I would write um, and it would be short stories or poetry or, you know, diary, journals, whatever it was just to get my mind off of things. And um, I would just kind of daydream and foresee who I could be and what I could be and picture myself in a different position and sometimes just cry, literally just cry out <laughs> and prayer. Why is this happening to me? What is the purpose of this? It has to be something behind it and it has to get better than this. So eventually I started to seek my own way through by, you know, getting small jobs here and there and, and to be able to bring some, some income into the home, assist with my siblings in a position where I knew nobody else stepping in. Did you yourself become a pseudo parent to your younger siblings? Because it doesn't sound like you had a great role model yourself. So did you take over some of that responsibility of raising your younger brothers and sisters and in, in the absence of your, your mom's capability to do so? I absolutely did. I definitely had to take on some of that responsibility. And it wasn't because I felt like I had to. I think my mom and between her and her boyfriend, they kind of did what they needed to do to make sure the youngest of the siblings were taken care of. However, I definitely felt like if I was learning and as I was going to find that the norm was not what we were what we were seeing in our home, I wanted to make sure they knew as well. Because I think the more you get comfortable in the space you're in and the more normal it is to you, the longer you'll stay there. So I definitely try to pass on the education as I do now to the younger ones and just to be able to bring little things home like deodorant. I mean, um, soap or whatever, things that we didn't have that people normally would have on a day-to-day -day basis and you just go grab one from wherever you store them. I would have to bring these things home and, and, and make sure that we knew <laughs> and the younger siblings knew this is things that we are supposed to have and supposed to do just unfathomable to me to think about that type of a situation yeah, and stuff that we take for granted. Yeah. You know, it's just little things like that. Yeah. Before. I mean, that puts you at such a major disadvantage for life right. in general, you know, like coming up into your yeah. own and being independent and, you know, kind of the set of values and, and character and integrity. Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like mm -hmm. you had to raise yourself to some mm -hmm. degree mm -hmm. because you weren't given oh, examples yeah. of you know, the proper way to kind of become an adult, right. you know, a functioning adult. You, right. know? you don't know what you don't know right. Right. Yeah. when you're that young. Yeah. So. You mentioned a little bit about faith. Did you grow up having faith? Did you find faith through your trials and tribulations? So how did you, how did you come into, you said you would pray and, and et cetera. So sure. how did you come to, to be faithful? Yeah. Right. So we didn't have a strong foundation in faith. However, my grandmother, who was somebody that just kind of, um, came in and out. She lived uh, some miles, 30 or 40 miles from where we were at the time. So we didn't see her very often. But when we did, she would always bring her Bible. She would always pray with me. She would always cry with me and just kind of let me know that things were going to be okay. And eventually, some years later, I actually did go on to stay with her full time. But um, she was the one who introduced me to faith. And I had questions and I didn't necessarily know if if it was something that was real or fake or why would I be in that situation if it was something that was solid and and real. Um, but, you know, she would kind of tell me that these things could be a test. It could be a part of my story. It could be a part of my mission. And it, it, it has a reason. Everything has a purpose. So um, I kind of stuck with that and, and began to grow in it throughout time. Yeah, I think as a young person, it's hard to 
believe in God if your circumstances are are horrible mm-hmm. to the point mm-hmm. where you like what what is the point like right. what wh- how is there a God when I'm living like this exactly you know what what's the purpose yeah. for my life when I'm living like this right Absolutely. And the interesting thing about being in the position that I was was that I had a lot of freedom, almost too much freedom. So now I'm making grown up decisions as a child. I get up and go when I want. I go to school when I feel like it. I get back into the house when I feel like it. I leave the house when I feel like it. I'm working on my own. I'm making my own money. So I don't even feel like anybody can tell me what to do (laughs) because, you know, I'm essentially raising myself. And I think that there's a thin line there between crossing a danger zone um, and being where you need to be. So faith plays a big role. So at what age were you on your own effectively working, generating some income, making decisions Mm -hmm. as to where you were going to go and where you were going to be? How old were you when you were doing this? Right. So I literally got my first job at 13 and it was a summer job. I had to kind of sign some paperwork and my mother had to fill out some things so that I was able to work. And it was very small income, but it was something. It was enough for me to buy some school clothes and be more confident in going to school on a regular basis. Again, it was enough to buy essentials like detergent and soap and, you know, all of these things that I know I need as a young woman. So again, I started to build my confidence and I started to get myself together. And my grandmother, who I spoke about previously a little bit, actually was the one who really stepped in and said, listen, you're kind of spiraling out of control. I'm more stable than I was before. I'd like to give you the opportunity to come stay with me and kind get yourself together. And that's exactly what I did. So by the age of 15, I moved a little bit outside of the Philadelphia area and I finished school and kind of got myself together. And she was the one who assisted me in finishing out high school and, and leading into that next chapter. So she became your your most prominent role model at that time as to how to do life, how to be an adult, how to be responsible, what you need to do, boundaries, limits, that kind of a thing, mm-hmm. because up to that point, you hadn't had it. So effectively, by the time you were 15, that's when you really had the first real structure in your life yeah. about trying to incubate you into adulthood. That's correct. Absolutely. Now, were there any other role models that that showed themselves at that time? Anybody else that stepped in in those formative years between, let's say, 15 and 18 to show you a better example of what life is supposed to be? Oh, goodness. So there were people who came and went and came and went. And that was very consistent, only because I don't necessarily know if people were able to take in that much in a young woman who was, like I said, traumatized by these past issues. I had already kind of passed that age of being able to be taught certain things. So I came in with bad habits and I came in with this attitude and, you know, these things were already well established. So it was very hard on people who were trying to help me. But there were a few people who kind of came in and tried to assist. I remember one time uh, me and my mother had gotten into a really bad physical altercation and the police came and it was this whole big ordeal. And a friend of hers, good friend of hers from her childhood came and said, hey, listen, come stay with me for some time. She didn't have any children. And I came and I walked into this beautiful home and, and, you know, her family was amazing. They took me in and I remember uh, taking off my clothes and she was kind of showing me where the shower was and all of these things. And there was a bite mark, huge bite mark on on my back where my mother had bitten me from us getting into physical altercation. And she literally stopped in her tracks and she said, I'm so sorry. I had no idea that this was what I was getting into. I had no idea this was what you were going through. And I think it's a little much. She said, so I'm going to let you stay here for some time, eat and, you know, get your clothes together and wash up and all these things. And then she said, I have to find some off for you to go. So again, the fear of just being in a place that was unknown and being in the in the system as an orphan, I was just fearful. I went right back home. So those were a lot of the instances where people stepped in and just didn't work out. 
So in that situation, she she stepped in, said, come live with me. But then the shock of seeing actually what your life was like or what you were dealing with, having mm-hmm. having visible marks on your back from where your mother bit you in a physical altercation that sent her over the I, I'm not ready for this. I'm I'm so it almost it was like you. Here's another example where somebody walks away from you. You're too much trouble almost. Yes, yes, yes. And being an adult and looking back at it, I get it. I understand. But again, I just, I carried that pain so well. And I think that people just didn't realize the the actual amount of poverty and, you know, just abuse and domestic violence that we were going through at home. I don't think it was something that was known to anybody outside Mm -hmm. until they really were in, in the middle of it. So. How long did you live with your grandmother? So I stayed with her through 15, all the way up until about 18, 18 years old. So I finished high school, finished with honor roll, and I I got a job. Um, I found a nice gentleman who uh, I kind of settled in with, and we got married eventually and had children. And that was the way I just kind of, like I said, ended that chapter of my life and, and rolled into a new but uh, she she stayed with me the entire time into adulthood and taught me the things I needed to know. So uh, she really helped me get it together. That's awesome. I, mm-hmm. I just think that, you know, some family members just step in at the right mm-hmm. time to provide the right assistance. And it means everything, sure. you know, yeah. it just means everything. And so walk us through how you really kind of rose up out of those circumstances. So you're in your early adulthood you are now married and so where did you focus your attention to to be able to rise up out of what you had grown up in so I knew that there were some really bad habits that I was still carrying with me through adulthood that stemmed from my childhood so again things like not necessarily being well with budgeting managing money you know, having to find a place for for us to say we wanted to buy a home and the credit wasn't there and the income just wasn't there. And I had horrible work habits because that stemmed from me not going to school normally. And I had horrible habits then. So all of these things were still presenting themselves in my life. And I got to a place where I'm just like, I cannot allow my past to continue to dictate my future. So I really had to get serious with myself and become self-aware and identify the issues that were no longer my mother's or my father's doing, but mine. I needed to step up and really take accountability for, for the lack thereof. So um, I just kind of started doing a lot of self-help, a lot of online research, a lot of YouTubing on how to be able to kind of hone in on the discipline that I needed in my life since I didn't have that growing up. And it's practice. I still work on it till this day, but that's where it started. <laughs> I, I just think, I've said this before, I, I think we live in the, in the greatest technological age that has ever existed, and you just can't use the excuse... I don't know how to do this anymore, especially not in the age of Google and YouTube, you know, like I just really feel like there's nothing that you can't be self-taught for free with the technology that we have and resources that we have today. And I think you're a, you're a product of that. I mean, to literally go, okay, where, where do I find the resources to do life in a semi-normal responsible way? Because you weren't given those examples. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times we take for granted, you know, people sharing their stories and their testimonies, because a lot of times it would be pure motivation from hearing from somebody who had been through the same things or worse in some instances. And I'm like, wow, look at this person now. It was um, something that was inspirational to me. And it really gave me the sense that they can do what I can do it too. So I would look at a lot of other people's stories as well as inspiration. 
Is there any stories that you remember that stand out? Examples of people that you're like, okay, this this is where I want to go. This is the person I want to be. Mm-hmm. This is this is where I'm headed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I remember coming across an interview with Lisa Nichols, um, and she was somebody who I kind of studied a lot. Uh, amazing author, amazing motivational speaker, and I remember her telling this story about how she was living in absolute poverty and completely flat broke, and she just had this baby. And I remember her saying that she was wrapping her son up in towels because there were no diapers. And she was literally sitting there in tears like there will never be another time where I'm experiencing this again for me or my child. And that was her breaking point to where she said, okay, something has to be done. So that was very powerful to me, very impactful. And she turned her life around in such an amazing way. And like I said, amazing author, motivational speaker. She's somebody that I look up to as an inspiration. So that story was really something that was moving for me. Have you had a chance to uh, reach out to her or meet her or since that time? Have you have does she have any idea that her story had that kind of an impact on you? You know, I don't think so. I've continued to follow her. And of course, I've listened to her for my morning motivational purpose. And I intend to get to one of the seminars sometime soon, (laughs) for sure. But I have not gotten the opportunity to reach out, though. I think that would be an incredible thing if you just sent her a note. Mm-hmm. I, I can imagine that if mm-hmm. her story had an impact and, and was remarkable enough in your mind to have yeah. you want to emulate it, you know, how how crazy would it be if she was able to know that? Mm-hmm. I just think that that would be something that would be uh, very, very impactful to her. And so walk us through now your young adult professional life. You decided to make a change. You decided that you wanted to rise above your circumstances that you were raised in, you start to self-educate. And so what was your initial career path in your early 20s through your late 20s, etc.? So I've always been very social. I've always been very easy to get along with. I have a great gift with building rapport with people. So I automatically went into the admin field where I was able to communicate with, you know, my colleagues and my peers and get direction in business and find out the logistics of business and how an office works. And it didn't seem like much at the time, but again, it did give me the foundation that I needed to kind of learn how business actually worked and how it was supposed to work. And from there, I kind of worked up into the HR space. So I became an HR coordinator and then eventually a recruiting coordinator. So I just kind of worked around in the human resources field. I did take some college courses to try to move up the corporate ladder. But eventually what I started to find was that, again, those old habits were very difficult to break. So I didn't have the the best attendance. I started finding issues again with me not being able to consistently get up and go to work and do all the things that I needed to do, as well as taking, you know, taking direction, even authority just had a a small place with me where I wanted to rebel against that only because that's the way it was growing up in my youth. And like I said, some of these things stick with you. So I had to break that cycle, but eventually it led me to entrepreneurship and, and learning that maybe it wasn't those things necessarily that were holding me back, but it was just propelling me into a different space. Maybe entrepreneurship was something that was more on the forefront for me than being under somebody. So I could see how you would rebel against authority to some degree because of how you, the authority figures that you had early on in life were not ones that you could trust, let's say. And so it, it, sure. it, it made you just second guess everything. And especially if, you know, all of a sudden you were fed information that uh, anybody that's part of the county or the city or the government that was going to come and you know, check on you that like you couldn't Mm -hmm. trust that. I mean, that would give you a a really horrible view of anybody in an authority position. Right. right? And so I guess I'm curious, you are, were self-aware enough to recognize that those were challenges 
and self-aware mm-hmm. enough to know that you needed to do something about it. So how did you how did you do that? How did you go from I want to sleep when I want to sleep, I'll go to work when I want to go to work? Like how did yes. you have that that right. discipline to rise above that? People are so instrumental in making an impact on our lives. I think it's so important to be kind to others. I think it's so important to be understanding of others because honestly, there were a few roles that I had where my supervisors just had a serious conversation with me. Hey, what is it that's holding you back? What is it that, that that's your issue? And I wouldn't go into extreme detail about what the issue was, but I would just kind of let them know, you know, I'm not motivated to come in here. I'm not making enough money and I don't feel like this is something that I want to do long term. And I did have some people who kind of switched roles from supervisor to mentor and just said, hey, maybe you should think about this or maybe this should be your end goal or, or, you know, do this at the bare minimum and I'll work with you on that. So, again, I think that some of the people that I've come across in life have just been a gift from God (laughs) because I've come across so many people that hurt me and and that didn't do right by me. Um, And I've been blessed with some great mentorship. It's almost like collective community uh, raising, collective community mentorship, Mm -hmm. et cetera. You know, some people do come into your life for a reason. Some people come in for a season. Some people come in for a lifetime. You know, it it just depends. But the people that you can you can really reflect back on. There was a few pivotal people in my life that through small decisions and it wasn't even big things. It could have been a conversation. It could have been an act. It could have been whatever, but just you, you look back and that was a, a course correction that meant everything at the time because it led you sure. to the path that you're at right now. And so you decided, Hey, maybe the structure of a typical, uh, work environment isn't for me. Maybe I should be pursuing entrepreneurship because you did self raise yourself. You know, an entrepreneur sure. is somebody that can count on themselves when everything else is, is, is said and done. They know they can count on themselves. And so how did right. you decide to ultimately get into real estate? You know, it was something that I didn't have a ton of interest in at first, but when I began to take the courses, I'm just, I just kind of started to see how stimulated I was. And that's a big deal for me. I always have to have a lot of mental stimulation because it's not a, for some reason I can go to a destructive place. So I was always busy. I was always learning something new. It was such a broad range of um, services that I could learn within real estate itself. And ultimately the thing that really sold the deal for me was that I could come back to the community that I was born in and be able to help some of the people and some of my peers to get to a better place as well. So that was something where I, it kind of put purpose to the paycheck, so to speak. Purpose to the paycheck and something that was uh, interesting to you and something that I also had a chance to help other mm-hmm. people, I think, would be would be highly motivating. And then I, let's be honest, you know, the fact that you can control your income, you know, and that, you know, you're not limited by somebody. You're not controlled by somebody else. It's like, how hard do I want to work? That really is mm-hmm. what sets my income limitation. Sure. Absolutely. Um, it's a great, it's a great space to be in. Uh, I'm learning, I'm learning daily. And like I said, you know, there's so many different aspects of the business. I get to also come back and teach people financial literacy, credit repair, and things that were so important to me and that I know would be important for them as well. Now, how has uh, COVID-19 affected your business now? How are you weathering the current environment as a realtor when it's difficult to show houses and people are staying at home? And so how have you been affected by what's going on now? Very interesting because we are, we're trying to move as much as we can. I'm being 
very forward and prospecting continuously and following up with my clients, even on a safety basis, just to say, hey, how is everything? Is everything okay? Uh, but technically, we're not able to do much business. We're not essential. So people are able to stay in the housing that they are currently in because of some of the safeguards in place for them. And we are not doing much business. So it's very difficult. But that entrepreneurial mindset kind of kicks in pretty quickly because you know that if you can sell in one industry, you can sell in almost every other industry. So you find creative ways to try to stay afloat and to be able to make money. And I also have the consulting side of the business. You have a ton of people who are trying to get into entrepreneurship right now is the perfect time to do that. So I've been maintaining, luckily. Yeah, I would agree with you. It's like you make the, the use of the time that you have available and try to find the highest and best use for that, whether it's sharpening your saw, you know, getting better at the skill set that you have, whether it's adding on a side hustle job or whether it's pivoting to yes, something completely yes. different and new. You know, I think you have to uh, roll with the punches a bit. And so, you know, I guess I would have a question from somebody that really has risen out of their circumstances, self-raised, self-taught, you know, climbed out of poverty, climbed out of dysfunction. I would Mm -hmm. imagine that you look back on that now and realize that that's made you so much stronger. That adversity that you went through has shaped, molded, Mm -hmm. and forged you in fire. And so... Do you now look back at it as somewhat of a of a blessing for you, or is it still something that's that's terribly painful for you to reflect on? I'm like, if I went through that and I, I you know, came through it, I can get through anything. But there's also a sense that's really, you know, resentful because I feel like I could have been so much better and I could have been so much more successful so much faster if I wouldn't have had to overcome some of the hurdles I did. And my relationship with my mother isn't great till this day. The relationship with my father isn't great till this day. A little bit of a disconnect with my siblings. And even reflecting on some of those things really do still bring back some terrible memories and some bad feelings. So it's, it's always work. It's always work. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's a continual process. I, I too, you know, I didn't have a great upbringing when I was... Uh, zero to 10, I had a stepfather that was verbally abusive to me and, and said some horrible things to me mm-hmm. and things that I still to this day reflect on, remember that I think shaped me and shaped my drive. And some part of it is painful. Some part of it is, I think, an advantage because I've used it for fuel yes. to fire me up and, and move me forward. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. So here's a question for you. Given that we're all in the same situation, part of the reason that we decided to do this podcast was to have an opportunity to to share stories that uplift and help people. Like Because we were worried that there's a lot of people that could be feeling anxious, a lot of people that uh, have never been in a situation where they've lost everything financially or been devastated financially. And so we wanted to give them an opportunity to know that that there can be hope, that there is, that this is just a season. So what would you say to somebody that's listening right now that is anxious, that's worried, that's upset, that maybe they've lost jobs, maybe they're concerned about uh, losing their house? Like, how, how would you counsel that person? How would you mentor that person? What would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I would let them know that it's not over until you quit, until you throw in the towel. There's always another day to do something differently. I mean, a day can change someone's life. One hour can change someone's life. You just never know what opportunities are coming your way. Just stay the course, you know, and find something to believe in. Again, if it's religion for you, it could be that. If it's somebody who is inspirational to you, it could be that. But find something to look forward to. Find someone to look up to and just find a day to keep, you know, keep fighting, a reason to keep fighting. Hone in on your why, 
why are you doing it? Why are you going to keep going? Is it because of your children? Is it because you want to do better? Is it because of the generations coming after you? And, you know, keep striving, keep striving. It's it's a fight. It's a fight, but you can win. You can win. Life is always a fight. You can win. It is a battle, but uh, well said. I, I, Appreciate those sentiments. I think that's awesome. So thank you so much, Brandy, for being vulnerable, coming on, telling us your story. Um, I, I just think you are Brandy the Brave. Where did that handle come from? Love Tell it. us a little bit about that. Yes, 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 yes. Exactly what we're speaking about now. I mean, it just takes a level of bravery and resilience mm-hmm. to not only come out of those things, but to come out with a smile. Again, I try to be the most pleasant person I could be. I try to bring value to everybody I come in contact with. And um, I'm not a big person on taking, taking, taking. So to be able to come out of that with a pure heart, a good spirit, and just somebody who still wants to help and wants to love, I think that's 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 the ultimate bravery. Yeah. So that's where that comes from. I agree with you. I consider that brave. How about you, I, babe? I, it's definitely brave. Yes, <laughs> I love it. I just want to give you a big, huge hug. Being a mom of four boys, I just want to, like, hug you yeah. right now. Like, I just can't oh. even imagine what you've had to go through. Yeah. So you are brave. Yes, yes, yes. 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 Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. I really, really appreciate your uh, your sentiments and your wise words and your vulnerability. I, I can't thank you enough. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Jen, what did you think about our interview with Brandy? I think Brandy is definitely brave. I think she is too. What a remarkable story. Mm-hmm. I mean, to really kind of raise herself up. I mean, mm-hmm. I was, I was literally like shocked when she said physical altercation with her mom and Mm -hmm. you know just that kind of an upbringing and being bitten and then double shocked when she goes to somebody else's house that is supposed to rescue her and then they're like ah this is too much for me oh my gosh I know that's where I'm like my mama bear instinct comes out because I would have just like taken her and saved her from the world you know like yeah you just want to help yeah you just you just like you just want to yeah. protect her yeah and go like, okay hey that, that doesn't we've got a safe me. place yeah yeah like no bring it. it it almost feels like it's a it i you know and i i get somehow some way how mm-hmm. somebody would might feel that that's too much for them to handle but like you can't you can't go in rescue somebody right. pull them in and then just go ah nah you're too much yeah. work you know and i essence. just i don't understand it at all yeah like i can't wrap that around my head that somebody is not willing to help yeah you it kind of feel like if you're going to make the commitment initially yeah. to go grab them yeah follow through on right. that right? right but look at how she's risen out of her circumstance well-spoken articulate professional go-getter living her truth and she's just so self-taught i mean she taught herself everything i mean i think it, it reminds that. me that you cannot use excuses no, no. matter what your circumstance no matter where you're coming from no matter what's happening to you right now right right. you can't use that as a crutch you can't use that as a as a excuse to stay stuck right or to stay in a position that you know you can rise out of or to stay in a position that you know is not your destiny right yeah yeah like i just felt like she just definitely has the no quit like yeah I love that about her. And I think that's a product of, of her upbringing. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't go through that and, and rise above it without having some confidence in right, yourself. Right. right? You yeah. know, so if think, you're listening. I think she knew at a young age that she was going to overcome. Yeah. I you think know? she did that. I talk felt, about prayers and yeah, writing and journaling. I felt like, and, yeah, like she was given the strength inside and yeah, she found it. Yeah, I agree. Well, if you enjoyed the podcast, you can find more episodes on iTunes. You can find it on iHeartRadio. You can find it on Stitcher, SoundCloud. Spotify. Spotify. I was waiting for my wife's Spotify. Spotify. 
You say that like pandemic. I know. <laughs> I do. Leave us a, a review. Give us a follow. Uh, five star reviews. That's what we want. We yes. want, you know, I like testimonials. I like, I like the written. You mm-hmm. guys are awesome. I like that. Oh, so you want comments? Yes, I want I want comment reviews. What if they say you're not awesome? Well, that'd be sad. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, you'd cry. Yeah, we're good people. Well, so they should for leave me, a positive review. You can leave the negative reviews, but I know we're awesome. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, I agree with that. You you're correct. <laughs> okay, it's time for our thought of the day, Jen. You ready? I'm ready. This is from Woodrow Wilson. It's a quote. You are not here merely to make a living. You're here in order to enable the world to live more amply, with greater vision, with a finer spirit of hope and achievement. You are here to enrich the world, and you impoverish yourself if you forget the errand. That was thought-provoking. <laughs> I liked it. I, liked I understand. It too. I always remember you're here to foster hope. That's, that's the yeah, point. That's, that's the point. That's what we're going for. That is what we're going for, yeah. and we're going to do it again. Tomorrow? Tomorrow. You ready? I'm ready. Should we do it again tomorrow? Of course. <laughs>